Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Joining me today is a guy that's going to help you get a good tan, cut out your seed oils, and talk to you about sunning your balls and the best practice for doing that. So make sure you tune in, ladies. All kidding aside, this is a very, very hot topic at the moment in Bitcoin. Twitter has been going around six to nine months or longer for those of you who have been down the health and seed oil rabbit hole. And uh, Really Tan Man has got some great articles. I found an article and then we connected and got onto this. So make sure you reach out to him. He's going to need a little bit of extra hand-holding coming down the rabbit hole behind us. But this is what we're here to do. Learn from each other. And uh, he's he's a really solid dude. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, I've got a few extra shills uh, for you. Well, one extra, actually. I'm replacing the Bitcoin conference with a different conference. This conference is going to be held at the end of October. It's called Liberty in Our Lifetime. And it is being put together by Peter Young, who is of the Free Cities Foundation. You've heard Peter on this pod before. And he's been on John's and other pods as well. So make sure you uh, start following what's going on here. It's about parallel structures. That's the theme of this conference. Um, How do we build them? Uh, How do we use Bitcoin? Uh, How do we, um, what is this idea of voluntary parallel structures? And uh, how can we leverage them and leverage Bitcoin to help build these and immerse ourselves in these. It's going to showcase projects that are not just related to Bitcoin, but also uh, through governance and knowledge sharing. Uh, These projects are giving people the chance to peacefully opt out of legacy systems, of which we are so tired, and giving them back their own sovereignty and freedom. I will be speaking. I'm going to be speaking about the parallel structure of education, Prince Philip of Serbia is going to be over there talking about uh, certain other matters. Stefan Levera, Titus Gable, who is the author of Free Private Cities, and many more people are already listed. So make sure you go to the link in the show notes. Get some early bird tickets if you're interested. It's going to be in Prague, end of October, 21st to the 23rd. Now, on to the stacking services of Bitcoin. SwanBitcoin.com forward slash Bitten. Make sure you are stacking over there in the U.S., Please make sure you're stacking. You can do the same in Europe with Relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash Bitten or Bitcoin Reserve. Nick and the team have got you covered if you're going to be looking to put on extra size. 50 grand or more, you get a complete white glove service. Coin Corner are an exchange and more, to be quite honest. It was great seeing Danny over in the uh, conference in Miami. And he's got some big things coming out with NFC-enabled cards linked to your accounts and Lightning and all this great stuff. I, I won't spoil the announcements, Dan. Sorry. Uh, shiftcrypto.ch forward slash Bitten is going to get you 5% off the hardware wallet. Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition. Not your keys, not your coins. Make sure you're, you're stacking safely. And BitcoinDay.io have 
micro meetups, Bitcoin only across the US every month. Go check them out. Here's really tan man. All right, we are with uh, we're with the tan man, Lawrence. Hey, how you doing, brother? Good. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Oh, great! Great to great to uh, connect. Uh, it's yeah. I read your article today after another Bitcoin player asked me, "Hey, have you got any good information on seed oils and uh, you know like sun cream and skin cancer?" Because we'd been in Miami and we'd been talking about it. And he'd mentioned yeah. it to uh, his wife when when uh, he got home and he was looking for more information. And I found your piece uh, and reached out to you. And here we are, like a few hours later, recording a podcast. Yeah, really quick turnaround time. That's pretty awesome. All right. So, Lauren, you're going to fire away with the first question, as always. Yeah. So is sun cream good for you? Because all my like life, well, not basically all my life, but... um. I've thought sun cream will protect you from the sun and good for you, mm -hmm. but there might be a chance that it's not. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Great question. So, so sun cream is like a sunscreen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the, the question is, so if, something you said that I think is pretty interesting is like this idea of protecting you from the sun that would imply like that the sun is this dangerous thing from which you need protecting. Um, and while it may seem like, you know, sunburn and skin cancer and all this, you know, skin damage comes from the sun directly. I mean, it makes sense, right? It's hot. Your sun, your skin gets hot and then it burns. Um, the actual mechanism that happens when the sun hits your skin is actually a bit more complicated. Um, it's not just the sun. So it's like, the sun is involved, but also certain inadequacies, certain deficiencies in your skin prevent you from being able to absorb the energy from the sun adequately. And so when people's skin is not well suited to absorb sunlight, which most people's skin isn't for, you know, the reason I'll get to and the reason why you, I'm on the podcast, when people's skin is not set up to absorb the sun correctly, then it's susceptible to damage. Like then it could be a problem, right? It's like, uh, a spaceship when it comes like well, the space shuttle when it lands right there's a lot of heat so they have the heat shields around the front of the, the the nose of the spacecraft and you know it's made of ceramic and they don't melt so when the space shuttle has that shielding it can land without any problems but and this has happened i think you know it almost caused a few emergencies like in the history of the space shuttle when little pieces of that armor are missing and then it tries to land the heat gets to be too much for it and it can cause a lot of problems so most people's skin doesn't have that sort of shielding naturally. Um, and so in that instance, if you go out into the sun, yeah, it might hurt you. But when your skin is healthy, then you don't really need the sunscreen. Um, and I guess the short answer to your question is no, sunscreen is not really that helpful. Um, it's not a healthy thing to be using. But when people's skin is uh, deficient and unhealthy, then it could be something that protects them from, you know, the extreme heat, like the extreme energy of the sun. Of course, the ideal solution to all of this is to fix your skin so that you don't need it. And I guess we can probably talk about that now if you want. That's what we're here to, uh, to find out. Yeah, yeah, cool. So uh, there's a few things uh, involved. So one of them, and I'll, I'll start with the probably the less important one first. Like everyone knows that the sun gets vitamin D, right? Like you're on the sun, you get vitamin D. 
So there's a chemical reaction that happens with the UV light when it hits your skin. Um, it reacts with certain molecules in your skin to produce the molecule that's called vitamin D. And the thing that it reacts with is a form of cholesterol. Um, and cholesterol, as you know, is, you know, egg yolks, butter, bacon, all the stuff that people tell you not to eat. Oh, of um, course. <laughs> cholesterol, of course, right? Shocking. Cholesterol is a very necessary molecule. It's actually used all over the body. Cell membranes are made of cholesterol. Bile in your, you know, that your liver produces to help you digest fat. That's made of cholesterol. Um, cholesterol is like one of those, like one way to think about it is if you ever played with Legos, you know, those two by four bricks that you just put everywhere. Yeah. Um, cholesterol is kind of like that. It's really useful and it shows up in all sorts of places. Uh, but because of dietary guidelines over the past 70 years, people have been taught to not want to eat cholesterol, which is crazy because it's this very necessary molecule. Um, so if there's a deficiency in cholesterol in that, you know, aspect of this chemical reaction, you'll get the UV light from the sun, but then it has nothing to react with, right? It'll hit your bare skin. Um, and then it can cause, you know, DNA damage, hit your cell nuclei, whatever, cause problems. So one aspect of this is you need to have enough cholesterol in your skin so that you can absorb the UV appropriately and actually turn it into vitamin D instead of it'll just, it's just burning you. Um, it's like if you've ever, um, if you ever like made anything like sauteed onions, for example, uh, or, or cooked like chicken on the stove if you know or cook a sauce or something if you let it get too dried out then it'll start to burn you know but if there's enough water in the bottom of the pan it'll just it'll absorb the heat and you know it, it won't burn anything because there's enough moisture same thing if you don't have enough cholesterol um in your skin for this chemical reaction to occur you won't produce the vitamin d and then you won't um and then you know that uv light has to go somewhere so it might burn so that's one aspect and then the other aspect which is probably what everyone's here for is the seed oils. All right. So hang on before, before we start ripping on the seed oils, yeah. Um, yeah. just because it's, it's late here and Lauren's going to have to run off up to bed. Did you have any other further questions? Mm, no, no. Okay. Well, do you want to say good night quickly and run off? Uh, yeah. It's really tired. Anyway, see you. <laughs> Bye. Good night. Bye. Good night. Thanks, mate. Um, <clears throat> I also wanted to, to actually let's dwell on the cholesterol. Sure. A lifetime of bullshit. It, it is yes. unbelievable. <laughs> and, and being British, being British, you American guys have taken the piss out of our food for, for God knows mm -hmm. how long. And you're like, mm -hmm. you know, an English breakfast, my friend, is bacon, eggs, uh, you know, blood sausage, uh, that's yeah. That's probably about the the main. Definitely, you want to skip the baked beans because that they're they're just gag. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, th this was this is ancestral eating, and right. I grew up in the UK, and I remember vividly in the eighties, uh, the the Edwina Curry. She was a um, you know a classic politician bureaucrat, call them whatever you want. That went mm. on this. Uh, she waged war against eggs. Mm -hmm. And it was all out war, like salmonella poisoning. Eggs are going to kill you. Um, and that changed the diet of a nation. Pretty much it took a mm -hmm. week or two of just concerted bullshit on the news. And, of course, what comes in and replaces that, this, this horrible 
cardboarded up, mass marketed, industrial sludge food that you seed know, oil filled, no less. Seed, seed oil filled, absolutely. Now you look back on it, you, you understand. Uh, yeah. It's it's so obvious what they did now, looking back. And, and growing up, mm. I remember there was a, a different cereal advert every week on the television. Uh, you know, late eighties. Coco mm. Pops and Tony the Tiger and all of these cute little animals selling you this fucking toxic poison. Mm -hmm. It's so bad going back and thinking about it. And what you're saying now about cholesterol is it like how key that is. And even to this mm. day, even to this day, boomers believe like cholesterol. Many people do, like not just boomers. Oh, yeah. They believe like they believe what the doctors, the doctors even believe it. This is how bad it is. You know, it's um, so please do some more debunking about cholesterol. So so plebs out there listening to this can just sure. start eating properly. Sure. So so for uh, for reference, I think probably the best like educational material on this topic is a book by a woman called Nina Teicholtz called The Big Fat Surprise. Mm -hmm. And it it covers everything. It covers cholesterol, it covers saturated fat, it covers seed oils. It's got everything and it's it's a great like narrative history of how we basically got uh got to where we are now with like the fake ridiculous dietary guidelines um and one anecdote i love from this in particular is the guy so the american version of that woman you described with the eggs the american version of this guy um ansel keys is the so-called doctor who's responsible for making saturated fat bad cholesterol bad in the american psyche um there was a famous anecdote or, or, or pretty infamous, I guess, anecdote in there in the book about how he, after these conferences where he would sit around and lecture people about saturated fat is bad and all this stuff, like he would eat like steak and like butter and butter and baked potatoes. Like his personal diet was different from the one that he publicly advocated, like literally different. And this was like a known thing that he didn't eat. You know, he didn't practice what he preached. And so if there's any better indication of all this stuff. And, you know, now the modern parallel, of course, is like wealthy people who will say like veganism is good, you know, because they own stock and beyond meat. And then they're going to the back room of the vegan restaurant in Manhattan where they serve like filet mignon, and like prime rib and stuff. It's like the same thing, right? Like they're, 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 they're hypocrites. You can't trust the hypocrite. Um, but I mean, specifically with like chemically from a cholesterol standpoint, um, there's a number of studies, just as one example, of like older, older women in nursing homes where the women who have higher cholesterol like live longer. Like literally their blood cholesterol is higher. They're less likely to die, right? Why is that? Because cholesterol is this protective, useful molecule that like is involved in all sorts of biological processes and a shortage of it means your body can't function. Another example of this is that cholesterol is an ingredient in building testosterone. And most of the steroid hormones are literally made from cholesterol. If you don't have enough cholesterol, you won't make hormones correctly. Hormones are, you know, pretty necessary thing to live, right? Uh, especially men like to talk about, you know, optimizing testosterone and all this stuff. Like, yeah, literally you don't have high testosterone if you have like low cholesterol. Um, another aspect of cholesterol, um, you know, that people always like to talk about is like it's clogging your arteries, you know, arterial plaque. Uh, uh, cardiovascular disease, whatever. Um, you get, a, you have a heart attack. There's a little clot, whatever problems. If you actually want to look at 
the cause of you know heart disease it's called atherosclerosis and what does that mean like that's the the fancy latin word for meaning hardening of the arteries basically hardening of the veins the veins themselves are hardening as is the rest of your body that's what like sclerosis means like you're becoming sclerotic is like this hardening stiffening thing that occurs you know to old people typically and that is um that happens well one ask one, one way it happens is from like overloaded of calcium that's not supposed to be where it should be um that's like it's also called calcification right arterial calcification people say that word calcium it's coming from somewhere um so it's not so clear that it's like a little piece of cholesterol that's like you know at the site of this clot and then the other question is like why is there even cholesterol there well your blood vessels are inflamed your body is undergoing chronic inflammation your arteries are hardened they can't expand and contract as they need to be and cholesterol this useful molecule that goes around and fixes it's like used to fix things basically fix cell membranes whatever your body sends cholesterol there and maybe it builds up and you have a heart attack well guess what is that the cholesterol's fault or is that your fault for being so messed up that no amount of cholesterol was able to fix this piece of inflammation you know um chicken and egg kind of thing so it's definitely been unfairly blamed for, for most of the problems. And like in actual retrospect, when you go, and this is what Nina Teichholz in that book does very well, she actually goes and looks at the famous studies that supported the cholesterol bad hypothesis. And like, they're all wrong. Like the, the conclusions from the studies are not, like the conclusions that were published from the studies are not the actual conclusions from the data in the studies. They were like, the conclusions were basically misinterpreted misinformed propagandized if you will the studies don't actually support the conclusions um in fact any research has done the opposite it supports that a diet higher in saturated fat lower in the polyunsaturated fats and seed oils is better um i said a lot of stuff so i don't know if you have any more questions specifically that you want me to drill down on did load um how right okay so how did you fall down this rabbit hole of you mm. know Digging into seed oils and all of the all of the rubbish that we've told about our diet. What what, what switched you onto this, and and how deep down sure. this rabbit hole have you been? So when I was, uh, I guess, was it seven years ago? Um, I had an as an American, you know, growing up, my mom had always cooked everything I ate, and in college, in American universities, you have a dining halls; so they cook everything you eat. So. I found myself like an internship in uh, Belgium over the summer after freshman year of college, like with no dining hall and no mom to cook for me, <laughs> which is like, you know, a, a novel experience for a 19 year old American. Um, so I had to like basically start learning how to cook for myself. Um, I didn't have enough money to like go out to eat every day or order takeout. So I, I really had to cook. And I guess just being naturally curious about things like Googling recipes and whatever else, like the, the concept of like, hey, you can actually cook things to affect your health. Like some foods that you can cook are healthier than others. That started to be a thing that I was seeing. Like recipes like, oh, use this ingredient because it's healthier and whatnot. Um, and I guess that, that combination of that plus the close connection between cooking myself and then eating and then experiencing my body afterward, right? Like when you're cooking, you have a much greater insight into what's actually in your food you can look for patterns and say, Hey, this ingredient made me feel like this and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I, I noticed that my health changed. I, I felt different depending on what I ate. 
And in particular, one thing I had found was this thing called the paleo diet. And it said, don't eat grains. So I was like, that's interesting. I've eaten, I always ate rice as a kid. Um, and so I decided, Hey, I'm not going to eat rice and see what happens. And then I did. And this, uh, I, I always had been congested, you know, I'd always stuffy nose, whatever seasonal allergies, all that stuff. I stopped eating rice and I could breathe through my nose basically for the first time ever. Um, and I thought that was, that was such a momentous occasion for me because as a kid, I could never really be more than 20 feet from a box of tissues, uh, especially if I went outside. And so finally being able to breathe through my nose, like, you know, that's a huge deal. That was a huge deal for me. So I was like, wow, food is really powerful. And from there, you know, I started learning just more about food and this is bad and this is good. And this is good. And this is bad and experimenting on myself. And I've done, you know, paleo diets and keto diets and carnivore diets and intermittent fasting and not intermittent fasting, all sorts of stuff. Over the intervening years, I've, you know, ate the fermented foods, the sourdough bread, all of that, the whole, the whole, all the, all the trends in health over the past, like five, six years I've done. Um, and then I guess that brings us to the present day. Uh, I haven't really eaten seed oils for a while. It's just become very popular recently to talk about them. Um, but you know, it's like a, it's a fun thing. It's a good way to like introduce people who have really uh, heard about health. It's a good way to introduce that. So I enjoy talking about it. So with, with seasonal allergies, you can't obviously put, it's going to be different things for different people. I mean, you, I guess you were lucky mm. you stumbled upon rice. What, what are sure. some, as we coming into hay fever season here in, in Europe and probably mm. where you are as well. And by the way, listeners, he is sitting outside in the sun getting a tan at the same time. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that as well. <laughs> so you're practicing what you preach. So yeah, seasonal allergies. What, what can you tell us about uh, what, what you've experienced either personally or heard mm. from other people? yeah so your body you know people i'm sure a lot of your uh listeners have played video games before and so you're familiar with the concept of like a health bar or like the mana bar or whatever these bars that like deplete and refill depending on certain things so your body's ability to deal with stuff like that can cause inflammation you know inflammatory things let's just call it your body has a finite capacity to deal with that it's like a little health bar and if you get past the, like, if it gets too full, then, you know, that's no good, right? You can't deal with it anymore. So you have to keep the total inflammation or whatever, the total harmful stimuli uh, below a certain point. And so all of these things kind of add up, right? The, the, uh, the proteins and pollen, you know, cause the hay fever, the dogs and cats fur, the seed oils, and the inflammation they cause, um, Stress too, literally like emotional stress, your job, whatever, not sleeping right, the EMFs, the Wi-Fi, the cell phone radiation, toxins from the food, whatever, all of the bad stuff that enters your body in one way or another that causes an inflammatory response, you can only deal with so much of that. And so um, allergies for a lot of people, like, you know, the pollen kind of sets people over the edge, but it's not the pollen itself that's causing the problem. It's like all the other stuff that had overburdened your system already such that it was susceptible to the pollen, right? In, in the same way people talk about like the collapse of empires, right? Why did Rome fall? It wasn't the barbarians at the gates, right? The barbarians at the gates were the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Barbarians had been at the gates plenty of times before and Rome never collapsed, you know? It was all these other factors that had made Rome weak to the point where the barbarians at the gates could actually cause some, you know, catastrophic failure. Um, so the same is true with allergies, right? Eating seed oils having, uh, you know, 
inflammatory foods that like pesticides or certain grains, a lot of people can't tolerate the types of grains that they eat on a daily basis. Um, all of those things add up to this inflammation load. And then March, April come around and then you have pollen and then all hell breaks loose. It took me a few years to, I think, fully overcome seasonal allergies. But at this point, I, I, I literally don't experience it at all. Um, and I had it terribly as a kid. Like I didn't really play organized sports like soccer and whatever because of that reason. Um, and maybe there's an aspect of growing out of it too. Um, I think you know, that might have a little bit to do with it. But, um, but yeah, I think most of it's just due to lowering the total inflammatory load, having a lot better gut health too, being able to digest food, right? Because your immune system is the one that deals with it. So strengthening your immune system through having it by having a strong digestive system helps you deal with all that stuff as well. Um, and I know that's not very specific, but I think it's similar to my post. I think the, the thread that uh, led us to talking today, your general health affects everything, right? It's not like X affects allergies and Y affects skin health and Z affects tanning. Everything affects everything really. Um, and so being healthier in general, which I know is probably not a satisfying answer, uh, will help with the seasonal allergies. All right. Okay. You, you touched on a few other things there. So we, we've done the cholesterol, um, bacon, what's the fight around bacon? So bacon, uh, it always, any questions about food always come down to quality a hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, is bacon bad? Well, some bacon's bad and some bacon's good. Is ice cream bad? Some ice cream bad, some ice cream good. Is you know butter bad? Some butter is bad and some butter is good. Literally everything, right? Um, and the answer is almost always the more real the food is, like the less chemically adulterated in various ways, um, the better it's going to be. And so with bacon, there's a few, I'd say a few dimensions. There's two main dimensions. One is all the stuff they do to it. So commercial factory produced bacon with the sodium nitrate and nitrates uh, or the nitrites and nitrates. Um, there are the preservatives, MSG, who knows what they're putting into it. Like the actual process of the making of the bacon is going to make a toxic product. And then the other question is, of course, what do you start with? The pork, what are the pigs doing? What are they eating? Where are they living? Like what water are they drinking? What kind of pigs are they? Are they getting sunlight? Are they eating root vegetables? The natural diet, the pigs are omnivores, right? So the natural diet of wild hogs, for example, is literally small rodents, bugs. You know, if you can find a berry, it'll eat a berry. But one of the bigger things they do is they, they root, they dig up the roots of trees and plants and eat the roots. And so farmers, for example, like te- uh, in, in Texas, hogs are an invasive species and farmers hate them because they dig under fences. They dig up the roots of the, from their fields, you know, so there'll be people who get in a helicopter and like shoot hogs, you know, for hours <laughs> at a time in Texas because they're like this invasive pest because they're digging up and eating these root vegetables. That's what pigs normally eat. They don't eat soybeans and corn and fish meal and flax seeds um, and garbage. Well, you know, at least plastic garbage. Pigs actually can eat, you know, natural garbage. Um, they can eat human poop as well. <laughs> it's like people don't realize this. Like before septic tanks existed, pigs were the septic tank, like in medieval Europe. Like they would literally eat your bedpan, <laughs> like the contents of your bedpan at night from, you know, the night before. Um, 
but I wouldn't, you know, trust a normal person's bedpan contents as pig feed nowadays. <laughs> um, but anyway, so if the pigs are eating uh, corn and, you know, a lot of soy and a lot of beans and whatever else, they become unhealthy. And so the, the food uh, or the fat of the animal mimics the fat that it eats in the same way that humans who eat seed oils, they literally get seed oils in their fat um, and their body fat becomes more seed oily. Pigs who eat a lot of seeds, their fat becomes more seed oily. So it's, it, you have to, it's not just what you eat, right? You have to worry about what, what you eat eats, <laughs> you know, is the pig eating good stuff. And, and so if the pig is eating good stuff and it's not processed in this, you know, terrifying chemical way, then bacon's great. Um, but much bacon, most bacon, especially in America is not because the pigs are, ex they exist under horrend uh, horrendous circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for factory farming, um, animals that, um, so yeah, you want as, as close, well, with your, with your beef, you want the grass fed with the, uh, yeah. You want free range pork? I mean, is that what it'd be called or organic pork? I mean, what so they... it's typically called pasture-raised pork. And this is, it's honestly a real problem. Like the pork industry is abysmal. Like there's really, I, I, I made a whole, on a whole rant on Twitter about this the other day. There is really not good pork in this country. And I've been to many very good, high quality permaculture, regenerative farms. And even there, the pigs are like, second rate i would say i can't even imagine the state of pigs in, in like a factory a standard industrial factory farm in america it's absolutely terrible and the reason is because like you said the cows eat grass it's very easy put them on the field they eat it's done right you know maybe they have to avoid the dandelions or whatever but for the most part put them on the field and they're they're good pigs as i mentioned have a very like diverse diet in the wild and it's hard to recreate that in a farming setting same thing with chickens Right, chickens come from Southeast Asia. They're the uh, Indonesian or what is it? The Indonesian South Asian jungle fowl is the ancestor of the chicken, and they're you know dinosaurs. They flap around and they pick up little worms and bugs and insects and whatever else they can find in, in the jungle down there. Of course, there's living stuff everywhere you turn, and you try to put them in you know Nebraska <laughs> in the winter. Like, what are they going to eat? You know. So it's very hard to mimic that sort of diversity of a diet in, a, in an agricultural setting. Um, and so that's why chickens and pigs, it's, re it's really hard to find good quality ones, especially in colder climates, at least for chickens. Cows are easy. So I think uh, that's why for most people, they should probably just stick to like beef and lamb um, and other red meats because you can more easily find good quality stuff. Interesting. And what about the gluten intolerance that we've seen a massive peak yeah. of in the last decade or so? Yeah, gluten intolerance. I mean, so there, there are some people, for example, a girl I knew in high school, like if she even had a sip of beer, which is like it's not that much gluten relative, like per unit volume. Mm -hmm. She even had a sip of beer. She would have hives, break out, all this stuff. Terrible. Um, and she also didn't even really drink vodka because – there's a, you know, vodka comes from wheat. So there's a slight contamination there. Um, so some people with like really bad celiacs will only have like tequila and rum because they're made from like non-grains. But um, I think for the most part, most people with a gluten sensitivity don't actually have a problem with gluten inherently. More so they have a problem 
with the uh, the way that bread is prepared. Um, and that's another complicated topic, but long story short is that most wheat is grown with a ton of pesticides. One pesticide in particular, Roundup by Monsanto, also known as glyphosate. And that in the intestines causes a lot of the damage that people ascribe to just general gluten intolerance. And I'm sure you've heard this where people are like, oh, or especially Americans, they say this all the time. Like, oh, I'm gluten intolerant, but I went to Italy and I had bread and I was fine. They say that all the time. And the reason is because they don't use Roundup in the, in the farming in Italy. Like, they don't use that pesticide. Um, and so, you know, is it the gluten or is this pesticide? The other thing is when you make bread with sourdough fermentation, um, it actually reduces the gluten content. So um, it doesn't necessarily eliminate it, but the amount of gluten is reduced by the bacteria doing the sourdough. So the finished product is like lower gluten. So if there's a gluten sensitivity, then, you know, the sourdough can like ease that. And then the last uh, question, of course, um, is the modern varieties of wheat also have more gluten than the older versions. So if once again, if gluten's the problem, then having a modern strain with a higher gluten concentration is going to be a problem. So TLDR is if people eat bread that's sourdough without pesticides for producing the flour and with um, made from like a more ancient variety of wheat, not one from like the 1950s that's been hybridized with, you know, all this BS, then chances are they'll have a lot easier time digesting it. Yeah. And I live in France, so I see exactly what you're talking about. Because, oh, yeah. you know, the, the, if you go, like, bread here is baked you know, daily, overnight, well, from 3 a.m. and then sold out by, by midday, generally, in, in the mm. bakeries. Uh, it's not like, uh, I don't want to um, point fingers across at the U.S., but it seems to me as though most people in the U.S. think bread comes in a packet and has a shelf life of six yeah, months. Yeah, people, no, you can make fun of Americans. People in America have the most ridiculous attitudes towards food. And I mean, it's not necessarily their fault. Like they've been sold that attitude, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Like the bread in France and Germany and whatever, it's, it's a completely different food than bread here. Yeah. And you know, it's a bit of a joke that there's, there's no harder element on the planet earth than a day old French baguette. And that's because <laughs> there's no preservatives in it, right? You buy it to right. eat it. Like, yeah. <laughs> It goes bad. Like food goes bad. That's <laughs> yes. the thing about food. If, if the bacteria and mold don't want to eat it, why should you want to eat it? <laughs> <laughs> but, but somehow we've been conditioned into thinking that that's a bad thing. It's the same in Italy. I, I remember we were going to stay at some friend's houses, uh, a friend's home in Italy. And, and she said to us, just, just be careful. The bread in this country goes stale within a day. And I was like, yeah, it's probably as it should. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. And then you can make breadcrumbs and then, you know, fry that, you know, then you make breadcrumbs and then, you know, that's how you deep fry your chicken wings or whatever it is. You put them in actual breadcrumbs from actual sourdough bread and deep fry them in actual beef fat, you know, from an actual cow. And that's literally like, maybe it's not a health food. Actually. Yeah. No, relative to the normal food people eat, I would call that health food. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Relative to the standard American diet, like a sourdough breadcrumb, you know, Italian bread, tallow, deep fried, organic chicken wing is healthy compared to the standard thing that people eat in America, 100%. Yeah, or an escalop or something like that is, you know, prepared well with, yeah. with that kind of breadcrumb rather than the breadcrumbs that you're going to buy in the supermarket, again, which have a shelf life of a, at least six months, probably a year and a half. 
Yeah, absolutely. Once again, quality is what it comes down to. Like, is bread bad? I don't know. That bread might be bad, but this bread's good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very easy, um, especially when people don't like know a ton about the nuances of all these things. It's very easy to just like seek out categorical, you know, categories that you can just eliminate. Right. I'm not eating bread anymore. I'm not eating sugar anymore. I'm not going to eat dairy. I'm not going to eat meat. I'm not going to eat plants, whatever it is, whoever it is. Everyone's always cutting out some entire category of thing, which neglects this nuance uh, that underlies all of life, but in particular food, which is that some things are made well and some things are not. And we have to have the discretion to figure out which is which. All right. Well, I'm going to get back to the seed oils. Um, We're going to jump around all over some because so, I still got other intolerances to ask you about. Actually, the the gluten one. Actually, to, before we move on from this, so I have a theory that the reason we've seen such a spike in gluten intolerance is the amount of wheat powder that just gets snuck into as many ingredients as they possibly can, uh, like as many sources as they can get it in. Even mustards, yeah. you can find it. If you start reading what's actually in the ingredients of half of the things that are in your fridge you'll generally find there's wheat powder in there somewhere. So you're ingesting yeah. wheat without even realizing it. You, you don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, so Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah, and like, so traditionally speaking, you know, Europeans ate wheat in the form mm-hmm. of bread, um, which is traditionally all sourdough fermented. Like it wasn't called sourdough. It's just how you make bread before you could buy yeast in a packet. Um, there wasn't really, it wasn't really common to eat wheat in other forms and so the non-fermented like the non-sourdough like when flour is turned into bread it's fermented fine but when flour is added to the mustard or whatever as you mentioned it's just put in there it's not fermented there's no sourdough there's nothing so all the benefits that that bacterial process confers on the finished product are absent in something like a mustard or a sauce that has flour in it so yeah in the the uk in the uk they even put it in the sausages like all the sausages you will find wheat powder blended through it and it's just basically it's a filler it's a congealant it's uh you know it, it it's just a sausage should just be how it is here again in france they if you ask the butcher are these gluten-free sausages or are there any wheat in these sausages he just looks at you cross-eyed like, well, what are you saying what? like this, 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 it's either pork lamb or beef like what do you want like this <laughs> It's sausage, I, it's not bread. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I, I had this discussion with a, a butcher in, in England just recently, and he was like, No, 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 this is how we do it. You, you've got to have it in there because this is how people like the taste. I'm like, Well, it doesn't make sense though, does it? Have you ever stopped to wonder why you're doing it? Right. And like that's the thing about taste. Like, dude, people ate sausage for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Clearly, it was like delicious enough to make it worth making for thousands of years. Like if they were able to eat it for thousands of years, I don't see like, why do we need the wheat? Right. Why do we need the modern variety or the the flavor or whatever? Like it was fine before this. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's crazy. All right. um, Back to um, we'll spin this into seed oils because I want to come back to what we're talking about with breakfast cereals and how they are seed oils, Mm -hmm. basically full of the fucking shit. Um, And uh, hat tip to, um, to Saifedean, because in his book, the the Fiat Standard, he talks about uh, Kellogg and uh, his his role within this um, Fiat food uh, mm. absolute debauchery, and points out that the way that you used to fatten pigs before slaughter on the farm was to give them corn and milk mm. and hey presto, 
what did Kellogg sell straight into on mass uh, a a um, a very willing seemingly uh, population a global population that just wanted to eat cornflakes in the morning which is mm-hmm. so disgusting the only way you can make that palatable is to to even you know put sugar or something or cut some fruit up through it and it's 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 nonsense yeah. it's and amazing then you eat it with skim milk too. Skimmed milk, right? Not even the real shit. Yeah, not, no, even real not, shit. not even the, the wonderful, raw, creamy milk. No. No, no, no. no. That, that, that's got to be... that. Even that has to be fucked with. Mm-hmm. How did we get there? It, it, it's, it's madness. So, so did they... In, in the book, did... Um, was Kellogg's like whole religious motivation discussed? Yes, the uh, get into that. The Seventh Day Adventist is that correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So right. he's a Seventh Day Adventist, which um, so this is like a I guess you call a, a sect of Christianity. Um, one thing, one one noteworthy feature of them is that they believe in a vegan diet. Um, they they believe that Adam and Eve did not eat meat in the Garden of Eden, and therefore, well, if that's true, I don't know if it's true, but if it's true, then they also believe that because they didn't eat meat in the garden of Eden, neither should we. So that's just, you know, you can ask them why they think that, but that's what they think. And so they have a strong bias toward promoting that sort of dietary philosophy, like amongst other people, more than just them. And then another aspect of this, okay, like why it's not just because Adam and Eve did or didn't do this thing. Um, Kellogg's goal was to, uh, stop masturbation, right? Stop sexual immorality. That's another thing that they think. Um, and so masturbating being immoral in their view, which I'm not even saying I disagree with, but it is what it is. But masturbation being immoral in their view, Kellogg sought means by which he could control that um, and, and make you know kids less prone to doing so. And this wasn't just like men. He also like, he had a whole hospital. It's a kind of crazy uh, hospital. Um, where they did all sorts of experiments on humans. They like uh, they removed girls' clitorises. They you know did circumcisions, all sorts of weird stuff. Um, and because the, he Kellogg was like, oh, sex is bad, right? Sexual immorality. So like, what can we do to like make people more moral in society? And one answer that he found out was you know feed them cornflakes, feed them um, like a very like fiber rich carby low saturated fat low meat food product hence Kellogg cereals and all of the products that they sell tend to be like this um and they're not wrong actually none, none of what they did was like incorrect in the sense that like eating a high fiber low fat low animal food diet lowers like testosterone levels makes you less uh sexually interested if you will and likely decreases the chance that you're going to be interested in masturbation or sex in general, right? It's physically weakening in the same way that um, like monks of most religions, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, practice vegetarianism. All right, we're back. Yeah, we're back. Sorry. It wouldn't be right right if I didn't have some kind of crash. But yeah, you were saying like uh, Buddhist and monks, et cetera, practice uh, vegetarianism. Right. Yeah. So it makes their job of sitting around meditating easier. Right. 
And, and like, I'm not even saying any of this is bad. Like they're doing it for a reason. And, you know, arguably they know why they're doing it and it helps them if that's their goal. What I have a problem with is that is when people, whether it's Kellogg's or government policy or whatever else, or modern day vegans encourage a certain dietary philosophy or a certain lifestyle program without being clear as to the reasons and the benefits and like why you're actually doing it. Like being a vegetarian helps you as a monk because it makes you physically weaker, right? Like that's why you're doing it. Sure, there's the pacifism angle, um, but I think that's probably more minor. And so that's, uh, that was a big motivating factor for Kellogg. Um, and unbeknownst to most vegans who ironically are atheists today, it's a big motivating factor behind veganism, right? Like it makes you better at just sitting around and like, right. Think about if you go like read the Iliad or the Odyssey and look at what the warrior elite of ancient Greece were eating, they're literally slaughtering bulls and like pigs, like by the dozens for their feasts, for their daily feasts and like eating the, the, the fatty thighs with the burnt fat as they describe it. Why? Because they're putting on 70 pounds, like bronze and leather armor going out in the desert sun in front of Troy and like throwing 15 pound spears at each other all day. <laughs> you know, that's a very different lifestyle with very different requirements than like sitting cross-legged and just breathing for eight hours at a time. Makes sense that they would have a different dietary uh, requirement. And so all of this is fine. It is what it is, right? Use the right tool for the job. The point is people are using tools for jobs that they don't know that they're performing. And that's why I have an issue with all of this. Does it, how deep does this go? Is there like a question of some kind of um, population control, social engineering, eugenics, all of the above? Or, you know, how, how far have you let your mind wander down those rabbit holes? I mean, uh, it, it wanders occasionally. Um, the, uh, I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of factors and it's not so clear like what any one entity is interested in, right? Like the other dimension, like it's very easy to say, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree with this. It's very easy to say, oh, like this food is, there to make us sick on purpose sure you could say that obviously it makes you sick but is it is that the reason or is it some sort of profitability also one thing worth mentioning about farming is that um and something that people should know plant crop like crop farming plants plants are much lower margin products than animal foods um there's a lot more work involved the end result is a lot lighter, right? You need a giant bag of lettuce. It's like a half a pound, right? Like per weight, it's, um, it's a lot of work and it's not very uh, heavy, you know, so you can't sell it for very much. The per weight cost is very low because people aren't really interested in paying most of their money for kale, right? Um, they're very fragile. Plants are really fragile, susceptible to all sorts of bugs and blights and diseases, uh, the soil conditions really matter. Uh, on the contrary, raising, especially grass-fed, uh, pasture-raised beef is actually shockingly easy. Um, I, I talked to a lot of farmers on Twitter, and especially like at a moderate scale, right? If a herd is like 10 to 50 head of cattle, they don't have a hard time with it. 
they just put them out on the field and the cows feed themselves. They poop themselves. They clean themselves. Right. There are no wolves around. This isn't like the seven, like the 15th century. Um, they just hang out, you know, and then when it's time to slaughter them, they slaughter them and life is good. Um, factory farm cows are a bit harder for whatever. It doesn't matter. Point is like plants are a much lower margin product and any, and I'm sure, okay, your listeners know a lot about economics in order to make lower margin products profitable, you need scale. This is perhaps one of the most obvious and easy to uh, wrap your head around reasons for why plant foods are promoted by food industry and their friends in government, because that's the only thing they can really produce um, where they can be profitable. Um, um, In the same way, animal foods actually become like harder to produce at scale right? Like it's easy to raise 50 cows because their poop feeds the little field and it just dissolves into the ground and, you know, the circle of life. But when you have 5,000 cows in a warehouse, the amount of stench, (laughs) like the amount of literally like super fun tier toxic garbage and waste that is emitted from like what they're called CAFOs, uh, factory farms. Um, the amount of waste that's emitted in such a small area and like not able to be dispersed over a natural grassland that can absorb it is it's terrifying. And like, no one wants to live near them. No one wants to drive by them. No one wants to come within three miles of them because they smell, they stink to high heaven. So big companies not only can't really profitably farm meat, um, they also must in order to have, in order to be profitable, they must farm plants. Um, so that reason alone, I think, is, 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 is good enough evidence for why they're so interested in, uh, in you know, promoting plant foods. Yeah. And I've had uh, Modern Tea Man on before. I I'm not sure if you're aware of him, Texas Slim. Uh, and he said, so. the, um, yeah, he, he's got a good take on, like, the lines have been, the lines have been blurred now between, like, um, big ag and big pharma. And it's what he calls the impact, like the uh, medical and pharmaceutical agricultural complex, where you've got huge incentives on either side and key players on either side of these things. So using Bill Gates as a perfect example, he's deep into pharma and deep into big ag and, you know, uh, soy and all of, all of this kind of stuff. So right. on one hand, you've got all this mass produced food that is causing us Hell, I mean, God, you know, the amount of problems that comes from eating this shit, whether it's uh, cancerous, whether it's uh, diabetes, skin problems, you name it. And on the other hand, he's got a huge footprint in the big pharma, which is there yeah. to cure you. Convenient, oh, right? Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? Wow, like, what a yeah. surprise. Yeah. yeah. So, you sell the bulletproof vests, you sell the bullets. Absolutely. Yeah. exactly what's going on and the whole time demonizing beef particularly mm. beef yeah yeah beef is so i don't know that, like if america farmed more lamb than it farmed beef i suspect it would just be demonizing lamb right um the chickens like there are some pretty big factories that sell chickens and you'll notice that the biggest meat, the biggest food or the biggest meat company, they might actually be one of the biggest food companies in the U S is Tyson, which does chicken. So chicken is one of those things, like one of the meats that I guess scales a little bit better. Like also because chicken is they're small, I guess uh, like you really need a large operation to make any sort of money on it. Um, 
whereas like it's not as necessarily profitable for a smaller farmer like if you have a herd of 20 to 50 cattle and a few dairy cows like you can actually make a living like in most of the country like the amount of food you can get from that and sell that can pay your bills um but to do the same with chicken i think it's at a much higher scale um the other thing is like beef arguably so so there's one aspect where like beef is like i guess the bitcoin of food right it's something like as long as you have an electric like as long as you have electricity in the internet like you can you know operate money as long as you have a few acres and two or three cows you can feed a family um it's the ultimate decentralized food and it's what i mean like anglo european people most actually most people um throughout the world that have been farming have farmed some sort of ruminant animal lamb beef sheep well sheep's or lamb whatever same thing uh that's how you know they survive and so if the if there's a dimension of like oh we want people to be reliant on a system so that they have to you know buy our products well demonizing beef would be uh or removing beef as a concept would be one way to do that right there is no tyson of beef in america there can be no tyson of beef there can be no beef monopoly there can there might be a chicken monopoly there certainly can be a fake meat monopoly there are certainly plant monopolies there's seed oil monopolies but there can be no uh beef monopoly and if you know anything about modern you know finance like and or modern corporate finance like monopolies are or you know that's the goal if you don't have a monopoly like get the hell out basically and so beef has got to get the hell out because there's no monopolist potential yeah exactly all right seed oils what do you got for us how did you speaking um, of yeah how yeah how did you how did you come to find out about seed oils go down you know that kind of research process and link that to yeah to tanning i mean you're the, the you're a really tan man right so this yeah. is yeah Oh, that's a good question. I, I actually hadn't necessarily thought about that. So like I've known about seed oils by another name, like, which is, I guess their more historic name, vegetable oils, um, for probably as long as I've learned, I've known about health, right? Like the paleo diet, which as I mentioned is the first diet I ever really tried. It doesn't take a super aggressive stance against seed oils, but they're not paleo. Right, because they come from grains, they come from you know they're processed. They're the, there's this industrial food, so they're not paleo. But it's not. It wasn't really, I think, talked about in the with the fervor that it is today. I think up until about last summer, um, which is when I was first. I don't even know how or where I discovered the term seed oils as applied to vegetable oils, and I thought it was brilliant. So last summer, I I started making TikToks, um, and there was. It, it was fun because this is around the time when the seed oil fervor like started. And I remember like calling them seed oils, toxic seed oils, you know, all my videos, toxic seed oils, toxic seed oils. And I just realized like the, the value, the propaganda value of that term, right? Vegetable oils, I don't think could ever be as meme worthy as seed oils could be, even though they're the same thing. Just because vegetables are like, I don't know, it's healthy. It's also three syllables like vegetable i don't know that's not that's not a good word seed oils it's a great word it's punchy you know um so in regards to actual like chemistry and stuff um 
like the reason they're bad is because of this thing called lipid peroxidation, which once again, not a good propaganda term. Lipid peroxidation, what the hell is that? I don't know. It's it's also called seed oil decay, which is my preferred, my preferred term. And basically, you've heard of free radicals, right? Oxidative stress, any of this stuff, reactive oxygen species. Um, these are molecules that are highly reactive in the sense that they'll they'll be willing to whip, rip electrons away from other molecules. So your body, like your cells are made of molecules which like to keep their electrons. And these reactive oxygen species, um, these molecules that are reactive go in and they steal electrons away from the molecules that make up your cells causing cellular damage. Um, oxidative stress, you know, oxidative reactive oxygen species, or lipid peroxidation, it makes sense. Um, so that happens because seed oils uh, are normally like, well, two things. They're normally locked up inside a seed, which is not exposed to oxygen inside the seed. It's in an inert, like dormant sort of state. The other thing is seeds also have like vitamin E in them, which stabilizes these unstable molecules, these reactive oxygen species. Um, it stabilizes them. And so when you have a seed, life is good, right? The seed gets planted, you know, it starts to sprout, fine. But when you grind them up, extract the oil, you know, which is a high heat process, a high oxygen process, right? A lot of surface area of the seeds reacting with a lot of oxygen. They start this decay process, seed oil decay, and they convert into molecules, you know, they convert into these reactive molecules. Um, aldehydes like uh, HNE, thing. Uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of them, all sorts of different molecules, each which with different terrible functions. Uh, but long story short, is it's a molecule that causes damage to the cells around it through this mechanism of like oxidative stress. And so the fats in seed oils, the fatty acids, one in particular called linoleic acid, is very prone to this decay process. Like it's already decayed by the time it's in the bottle, basically. And then you put it in your body, which is full of heat and full of oxygen, which makes it even worse. And wherever it goes, it causes damage to the cells in the area. Um, and that's the main mechanism by which seed oils are dangerous. The unsaturated fats have, which, which linoleic acid is an unsaturated fat. The unsaturated fats in seed oils decay into molecules that are highly reactive and cause damage to tissues that they encounter. That's really it. And that reaction is accelerated by heat and oxygen um, and light. And so now if you want to think about sun, well, what happens if you have a, a molecule, a fatty acid that's unstable in the presence of heat and light and oxygen? And what happens when you get sunlight with its UV radiation, its infrared radiation right on your skin? You know, clearly it'll accelerate the decay process. Um, you'll produce more of these inflammatory chemicals and they'll cause damage to your skin. So that's how the skin damage occurs. It's not that healthy skin can't handle the sun. It's that your skin is so clogged up with seed oils um, that when they are exposed to sunlight, they create this mess, basically, this reactive mess, destroy tissues. And, you know, that manifests in this context as sunburn. So if I like to make this like really, really simple, if we ingest sure. seed oils in any in any form, whether that's in our breakfast cereals, whether that's in any mm -hmm. kind of snack product that you open in a, in a bag, whether yeah. that's uh, in a salad dressing, 
or you whether that's in a restaurant that fried the food, the fries, for example, in that seed oil, or whether you've used seed oil to cook, you ingest it, it gets um, it, it crosses uh, the membranes into your bloodstream, it gets carried around, it starts creating mm. fucking havoc with all of the molecular biology and cells within your body. Yeah. And then just kind of like um, it would accumulate as fats uh, just underneath the, um, under yeah, the skin. Yeah, so it's so in, in your, well, so it goes everywhere, right? Like mm-hmm. lipids, like fatty acids are everywhere in your body. They're in your yeah. skin, in your fat tissue, in your blood. It's measured in like triglycerides in your blood test. Then your brain, your brain's made of fat. Organs, your liver's got fat in it. Um, you're everywhere. There's, there's fatty substances everywhere in the body. Obviously, it accumulates in, you know, a high concentration in your fat tissue. Um, but you're, you know, you have subcutaneous fat, like that layer starts right underneath your skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they also can, they, they can become part of your cell membranes too. Um, so this lipid peroxidation actually is most commonly, uh, seen in the decay of fatty acids in the cell membranes. Um, and so all your cells, <clears throat> excuse me, have cell membranes. So yeah, basically Seed oils go everywhere in the body. Obviously, they accumulate in your body fat. Um, and wherever they go, they cause damage as they decay because the, the reactive molecules they produce destroy living tissues. And so in the brain, they cause Alzheimer's. In the skin, they cause these seed oil spots and they cause sunburn and skin damage. Um, in seed oil spots. Else? What, what do they look like, seed oil spots? They look like, so you know those old people spots, liver spots, yeah. like those brown blotches? That's, yeah. that's seed oils. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, they, do, they do everything, right? What else? In your liver, they cause fatty liver disease, mm-hmm. right? So there's, there's children nowadays born with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And people often blame this on sugar, but it's really on the seed oils. Um, because the same, uh, the same thing that, like the same enzymatic pathway in your liver that cleans up ethanol it's like the aldehyde dehydrogenase i think for you know chemistry oriented people um that that enzyme also deals with the reactive molecules from seed oils so it's like this like the same thing this is another reason people get more hungover more easily today than they did like 150 years ago because there's more seed oils in their diet so the liver is already overburdened with seed oils by the time you give it ethanol it like you know it's it checks out like can't do it um so i haven't made a post about this one yet but that's coming that's um, gonna be awesome that's yeah, gonna be no, a, it, that's it, gonna be a helpful one in the eyes macular degeneration right uh. like because what's what are your eyes doing they're looking at the sun same thing as the sunburn right mm-hmm. like the seed oils that are right there in your eyeballs are getting inundated with the sunlight they're decaying in your eye causing uh, causing cellular cellular damage in the eye, um, insulin resistance, obesity caused by seed oils. There's another mechanism by which seed oils cause it, it, insulin obesity. insulin resistance. So we're at diabetes as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because Fuck. yeah, and it's the same reason why they cause obesity. So there's a great lecture on YouTube about this that you know explains it far better than I will but I'll probably be able to do it at least uh, more simply, which is that like when your cells get energy, like your body's giving your cells energy, right? When you eat food, it distributes it to your cells. They signal like, okay, I'm hungry or I'm full, right? Whether they have, based on if they have enough energy um, and there's certain chemistry mechanisms that make them do this. 
the cells have almost an infinite capacity for eating sugar. Um, glucose, for example, like you can feed a cell more and more glucose and it won't really say, stop, I'm full. Mm. It's not going to happen. But fats like signal, hey, I'm full pretty quickly because fats are a lot more energy dense than glucose. Like per gram, fat is more energy dense than glucose. And the type of fat determines how quickly the cell will decide it's full. Um, the thing about fats is they're all equivalent calories. A cup of uh, a gram of seed oils is the same calories as a gram of beef fat. Fat is isocaloric regardless of the type of fat. And mm-hmm. so um, the thing is, of course, beef fat, animal fats, saturated fats, they signal your hunger or they signal your satiety. Like I'm full. They signal that a lot sooner than um, say olive oil. You know, which is monounsaturated, uh, which is in the middle between seed oils and, and, and saturated fat. But what's even worse is seed oils. They sing, they have the same uh, signaling factor as glucose does, which, if you recall, is infinite, right? Like the cell does not get full of glucose. The cell does not get full of seed oils because your body doesn't really recognize it. So it doesn't really know how to evaluate it. And so you'll be pumping more and more vegetable uh, seed oils, polyunsaturated fats, whatever you want to call it. We'll be pulling more and more of that into the cell, but the cell won't say, stop, I've had enough. Because chemistry. If you want to, you know, I can maybe send you the link to this, this lecture uh, if you want to put it in the show notes. Um, but anyway, the point is, you'll just eat more and more and more of it, and this, it has the same amount of calories as like butter, right? And there's one uh, very interesting study where they fed a bunch of kids, like however much they wanted of a carb plus a fat. And people, the kids on average ate like three to 400 calories more per meal of the seed oil carb than they did with the butter carb because the butter signals, Hey, I'm full. The seed oils don't. And so, you know, talk about calories and fat and obesity. Like that's where it comes from. People are not full. So they'll, they'll just eat more when left to their own devices. If it's made, if it's uh, seed oils. So there's your obesity. And this is the same thing with insulin resistance too, because insulin, the hormone is all about regulating the, how the energy is put into the cells and like where it goes when you eat. Um, and so the same thing, you'll eat meat, 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 not getting full, right? There's your insulin resistance. Um, so, you know, diabetes too. <laughs> it's, it's, not, <clears throat> it's nuts. Um, we've been conditioned into thinking animal fat bad, right? And yeah, uh, it, yeah. <clears throat> it, not, not, it, the opposite is the truth, as usual. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't eat seed oils, like you have to try to get fat, like hard, really try right. hard. Yeah. So what are people eating by mistake that's packed full of seed oils and, and wondering, I'm exercising, I, I feel as though I've got a pretty healthy diet. Uh, you know, I've cut booze out three, four times a, a week, uh, but why, why can't I shift this weight? Uh, yeah, well, clearly... so, so I don't want to make it seem like seed oils are the only thing that mm-hmm. causes obesity. And, and while they might like a priori, like in a world where people are already fat, like cutting out seed oil might not be enough to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Right. So I do think that if we had never introduced seed oils, there would be no obesity. Like I do think that. But now that we do have obesity, cutting out seed oils is not enough just to fix it. You have to do other stuff. Um, so it's possible that someone's eating no seed oils and, you know, not losing weight because of other mistakes that they're making, which, 
uh, maybe we can go into, but it's that's a whole other matter. Um, go for but it. We love regard- rabbit holes. Well, I'll ask the other question first. Um, <laughs> okay. So in things that are full of seed oils, honestly, anything that you eat that comes in a package, like which is most things that mm. most people eat, probably has a seed oil in it. It's not, I'm not going to be like, oh, salad dressings or whatever, any, anything. The nut milks also, well, they come in a package, right? And guess what? They have seed oils. So milks, the almond milks, blah, blah, blah. Um, like, We've not even touched on lactose intolerance. <laughs> right. Yeah, Oatly, Oatly literally advertises the fact that they use like canola oil. They think it's a good thing. They like, they, pr- they promote the fact that they're like, hey, we use, and, and by the way, for those that don't know, Rape seed oil, not grape seed oil. Rape seed oil is is the uh, actual name for canola oil. Canola oil was just a PR term invented by the Canadian government because they didn't they figured they couldn't sell rape seed oil very well. <laughs> um, so it's in the oat milks. It's in um, I mean any restaurant food, right? There's there's butters like there's there's oils, olive oil and avocado oil blends that people don't know they're buying. They think oh olive oil. A lot. If you don't, if you don't, if you're not careful, the olive oil you're buying has seed oils in it. It's mixed. It's laced, as as some would like to say. Would it say on the bottle if you checked? Um. So if you look hard, yes, it should. But there's also, especially with Italy and the mafia and corruption, there's a lot of like mislabeled or like you know purposefully not labeled, like contaminated oil, like olive oils. So. And there are some people that will talk about this more than I than I go into, but like olive oil from Italy is known to be somewhat suspect because the mafia will like adulterate it, profits, corruption, whatever. California olive oil, like in America, like that just doesn't really happen. You don't really get much mislabeling of stuff in the U.S. So California olive oil is considered pretty good. Um, Chilean olive oil is considered pretty good. I don't know about about like Tunisia and Greece and Spain and, and whatnot, but I do know this is a problem. I, I'm not super well versed in how to solve it, though. But yeah, it's an issue. That's the thing. About, use butter. Yeah, butter use butter, right? But I was gonna say butter because, like, look at what's in the fucking margarine. Like, th- th- this stuff is disgusting. Mm. I cannot believe they're allowed to sell it, but yet you still have yeah. millions, hundreds of millions of people choosing margarine over butter because it even says on it just like butter spreads like Mar- butter. yeah margarine utterly, is seed oils. Utterly. like yeah it's just margarine. all seed oils yeah 100 um what else a- any restaurant food like they'll fry stuff in seed oils soups sauce yeah like i said anything that comes in a package like that's you know like packet not i don't mean like ground beef right or like a steak it comes in a styrofoam package, whatever. I mean, like anything with a nutrition label on it because it has an ingredient. Anything with an ingredients list likely will have seed oils. At least you have to check. Chips, crackers, candies, salad dressing, sauces, soups, the milks, many drinks. Even if it's not obviously oily, so like, so they, you know, oil and water don't mix. How do they put seed oils in oat milk? Well, they also have this thing called an emulsifier, um, which is a chemical that enables oil to dissolve in water well that sounds natural right <laughs> um so commonly that's like sunflower or soy lecithin you'll see that on labels that's what yeah. it's doing it's enabling whatever oil to dissolve in the liquid 
um, or in the water. All right. But yeah. So for those people yeah. that are now getting a little bit shocked and uh, want a, at least a nice salad dressing that they mix up themselves, would you say like the highest quality olive oil is not going to do as much damage as any of this other shit that we've been talking about? Well, so, so olive oil is not seed oil. Let's right. just make it's that not, clear. Okay. Olive oil and avocado oil are not seed oils. Neither is coconut oil. Just because like they come from plants doesn't make them a seed oil. Like a seed oil must come from the actual seed of the plant, whereas olive oil doesn't come from the pit of the olive, which would be mm. the seed. Olive oil comes from the olive itself, which is the mm-hmm. fruit. And Same avocado? avocado oil. I, yeah, it comes from right. it comes from the green fruit, basically. Ah, okay. I thought it, it was doesn't come from, from the, the pit. Okay. No, it doesn't come from the stone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So right. that's why they are like considered okay. And coconut, um, coconut, the same deal. Coconut, same deal. It comes from the flesh of the coconut. It's the fruit. Right. Um, and in particular, like coconut oil is very saturated. It's, it's even more saturated fat than beef fat in many cases. Um, I personally don't eat coconut oil because, well, I mean, if you think about most of our ancestry, like it's not from people who historically ate coconuts. Um, yep. So, I mean, there's that aspect to it, but I mean, if I eat coconut oil, it gives me horrible stomach pains and the, it's just not, not pleasant. Um, I think coconut oil is definitely overhyped for sure, mm-hmm. but in general, I, I, honestly, I, I only use coconut oil for um, like certain cosmetic purposes, like on my skin or something. I wouldn't really eat it. Avocado oil, I don't use. If you want to fry something, use ghee or butter, or tallow, mm-hmm. um, and olive oil. I'll use for flavoring. Of course, it's got to be very good quality olive oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you mentioned, it has to be pure, um, but I'll only use it just like for taste. Purposes. And how about, like, um, I, I guess I already know the answer, but I think if we if we talk about sesame, then I think we've pretty much ticked everything off. Seeds. Seeds. There you go. Yeah. Well, so the thing is, <clears throat> all of it's in context, right? The dose always makes the poison. So one of the problems, so the seed oils are bad, yes, but it's also like 24% of the calories that Americans eat are seed oils. Like wow. up from zero percent of calories mm. or like 0.1 percent of calories you know like 115 years ago right like that's multiple orders of magnitude or whatever it's a, a massive increase um sesame oil like is is typically used in the same way olive oil like i just mentioned as a condiment so it's like you make a stir fry whatever all this stuff mm-hmm. then you like drizzle a little sesame oil on it because it tastes good right is that going to kill you no you're going to be fine like i even the bottles that it's sold in give you an indication. It's sold in a small little bottle. You're not supposed to use much of it. Um, the the problem you have with the seed oils is when uh, the French fries are deep fried in seed oil. The chips are deep fried in seed oils. The the ca- the crackers and cookies are baked with seed oils. The the bread is baked with sunflower oil. The cakes are baked with canola oil. Right. The problem is when they're in everything in large quantities. So if someone's going to like, if, a hel- if an otherwise healthy person is going to be like, oh yeah, I'll have some sesame oil because it tastes good on my stir fry that I make once a week, like go right ahead. And I feel the same way about like soy sauce, right? Right. It's like real soy sauce, like fermented, doesn't have fermented. Um, fermented added wheat. Yeah, it's fermented, doesn't have added wheat in it. First of all, it's like, it's mostly like liquid proteins and stuff. It's not a ton of fat. Um, and I mean, Japanese people are pretty healthy and they've been eating it for centuries but as a condiment right that's the key they're not 
like like in America, they're not putting soy in the protein bars and soy in the protein powders and in the drinks and in the soy milk and the baby formula. They're not doing that. Like they literally like dip it, like they dip their two pieces of sushi in it, you know, and get a few drops, right? It's a completely (laughs) different situation. (laughs) Oh, the baby, the baby feed kills me, mate. That, that formula is so damn sick that, uh, you know, new parents have been tricked into thinking that, and it's done purposefully. Right. That's, and that's then, the and, sickest and, thing about it. You know, that they, um, <clears throat> they, they actually do actively try and break down uh, the, the idea that uh, breastfeeding is natural, even yeah. at the, the hospital yeah. when the baby's delivered. Yeah. They, they, and the real problem with this too is that like it's very hard to convince people otherwise because like people are you know rightly protective and defensive of their baby's health and in a world where they trust the the medical food industrial complexes you know whatever it was called as you mentioned in a world where they trust that to determine or to tell them like what's healthy if you tell them something else they won't want to listen because it's their baby right my baby's health, you know, I could, my baby could have birth defects or it could get sick or whatever. It's like, yeah, your baby will have birth defects and get sick because you listen to them. Right. But that's a hard, it's a hard, you know, it's a hard spot. That's a hard pitch basically. Even though like, if you want to zoom back and be like, okay, think about like, what's at stake, right? What's at stake for me? Like literally nothing here. I'm just like trying to make people healthier. I, I have no skin in this game. Whereas like the companies that, pay to make sure that you're aware of certain information have a significant stake they have skin in the game like there's you know a perverse incentive right um i don't have what perverse incentive do i or you have nothing we're just hanging out if if anything it's like we would our interests in life would be better served not talking about this and so it's important i think when listening to people it's always important to listen or to consider why someone's telling you what they're telling you uh, and like you know this, and I know this, but most people don't think like that. And it's, so it's a hard, it's a hard spot to be in. Let's hit on the, the lactose intolerance. What um, have we yeah. seen a massive push? Lactose, lactose intolerance. The last thing. Lactose intolerance is not real. This is fake. It's made up. There's there's no lactose intolerance. Like every mammal ever since the dawn of mammals. And this is literally because the definition of mammal, like ate its mother's milk at its earliest, most vulnerable post-birth state. And, and that milk brought it from like a barely able to walk infant to a mostly self-supporting, somewhat functional, at least independently mobile entity exclusively on a diet of its mother's milk. Right, like every mammal, cows, uh, humans, monkeys, platypuses, uh, <laughs> squirrels, rabbits, like you name it, you know. Um, and that's that's a pretty strong testament to the nutritional power of the substance we know as milk. And then someone will be like, "Oh, but that's their mother's milk. It's not, you know, a cow's milk. You're not a baby cow." 
Sure. Like, you have any idea how nutritionally similar, like, all the mammalian milks are? They're, like, they're the same thing. There's, like, some percentage differences, but, like, it's all within an order of magnitude, which means basically the same thing. Um, so they're all the same thing. And then they're, okay, but it's, like, oh, only babies are supposed to drink milk. Well, yeah, because milk is such an energy-intensive, like, producing milk is such an energy-intensive process that no species would evolve to, like, create a world in which it's young could no could not become independent and like find food for themselves. Like for a mom to go out and eat enough food for her and to produce stuff for her baby is a hard thing to do. And it, it doesn't make sense that a species would, um, would make sure that it's babies didn't outgrow that, you know, like why would you make a species reliant on its other members for food? That doesn't really make sense. Like they have to learn how to hunt and, and provide their own food for themselves. The thing about humans is we're smarter than all that. And we manage to like co-opt an entire other species of a, a few other species of animals to do it, the milk for us. And not only do they make milk for us, they make enough milk for their own babies and surplus milk for us. Right. Like, and like the way that cows have been domesticated, like they literally produce more milk than their kid, than the baby calves can consume. Like, if you don't milk a dairy cow, even if it's nursing its own young, like her udders will get inflamed because they produce so much milk that it has to come out. Um, and then sure you can say that it's unnatural, whatever, blah, blah, blah whatever. It, that's how farming works. That's how we have civilization. Like human society exists, like in particular developed human society exists because of dairy farming and any, any animal that can like, basically guarantee for itself a source of milk for every one of its members from the moment they're born up until adulthood that's a massive cultural and evolutionary advantage um and i think explains a lot of the reason a lot of a lot of anthropological history of the past ten thousand years um due to the fact that certain groups of humans some groups of humans figured out how to domesticate dairy animals um well, humans as well, yeah. right, uh, produce too much milk. And this is why you'd have had in, um, well, hundreds of years ago, this idea of a wet nurse, where sure. the, 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 that lady of the village, that had, she, she could rear other people's kids if for whatever reason, uh, you know, the, the, a new mother passed away at birth or whatever, yeah. right? It was, this isn't... Well, from, what I, from what I understand, she only did that, like, when she didn't have her own kid. Right. That was like she had a kid and then just like kept nursing, kept nursing, kept nursing, kept nursing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's a, it's a huge like milk is like the most fragile members of the mammalian family. Newborn babies eat milk, right? Like oh, bad for you, sure. And then like oh, but I'm lactose intolerant. Yeah. So there's this as you as there is for everything. There's this whole if you don't use it, you lose it thing. You know, you don't digest lactose like bacteria in your small intestine digest lactose lactic acid bacteria like lac lactase lactic lactose these bacteria produce lactase which allows them to digest lactose and produce lactic acid like that's how all that works um and if you don't have them in your small intestine then sure you won't be able to digest milk so you need to like build up the appropriate bacteria to do so and like there are a few uh, genetic like permutations that various like ethnicities of people have, um, but all of them are like kind of useless. 
when you think when you understand like the way that it actually works with the bacteria because like I, I mean, even still east asians which are one group known to not be able to have they're known to not have this lactose digestive gene or lactase persistence it's called like mongolians entire diet is like milk like horse milk cow milk sheep milk every sort of milk yeah like and look at them they're huge <laughs> um and they're east asians right like also africans are considered to not have lactase persistence and there's a number of tribes in africa that very famously well, some of them are meme tribes at this point but that eat a ton of, of milk the maasai is one in particular um so that's like you got every race of people with examples like from from anthropological history of groups of their people that are very vigorously healthy uh and, and eat milk well into adulthood right it's not a genetic limitation so in order to start being able to digest milk like you have to actually eat it and the other problem with milk too is if it's such bad quality you could be intolerant to it for other reasons than just lactose exactly um like they add so much garbage to to commercial milk they add um synthetic vitamin a synthetic vitamin d they add dha um all of which people think are healthy but you know if those things were healthy why would they add them to milk right um DHA being an omega-3 fatty acid, which is even worse than seed oils. Um, because like, you know what I was saying about the seed oil decay? Like the omega-3 fatty acids from like fish and, and certain nuts, they decay even more readily than the, the oils from the ordinary oils from seeds. Um, this is a chemistry thing that I don't need to get into, but they're much more unstable. And so they add that to commercial milk. They add synthetic vitamin D the form of which is the same form cholecalciferol that they use in rat poison. Literally, your viewers, listeners, go Google image search like a, a rat poison container and you'll find that some of the most popular rat poison on the market, their active ingredient says right on the front, cholecalciferol, like X percent. And then go look at your vitamin D supplement and see what active form of vitamin D it has on the vitamin D label. It's cholecalciferol. It's the same molecule. <laughs> it's literally in rat poison um so they add this to milk and then people are, are like allergic to it and then they wonder why you know then they blame the milk of course not all the other stuff exactly it's what they're doing to the milk not not, not milk itself <clears throat> but of course this what what a wonderful coincidence is going to cause uh, a whole medication industry for people that are lactose intolerant yeah, and then people still like milk the taste of milk and whatever so they buy it's now a fake milk industry you know this mm -hmm. is more of the monopoly stuff right like if you go almond milk and all that nonsense that yeah so if you go to a supermarket and like look for milk every supermarket has milk but like the milk at your supermarket is different from the milk at my supermarket is potentially different from the milk at the supermarket down the street which is different from the milk at the supermarket two states away and while there's been some consolidation in the dairy industry where like labeling, you know, you might find the same label, Land O'Lakes, uh, Organic Valley, uh, these are American dairy labels. You might find those labels of milk in stores all across the country. The actual milk inside those bottles comes from, you know, regional and even sometimes small farmers locally, but they're just sold to the distributor who slaps that label on it and then people buy it. But so, yeah, so all the milk is, is different, basically. It's all milk, but it's all different. But if you think about almond milk or oat milk or whatever, 
the oat milk in your supermarket is the same as the oat milk in my supermarket is the same as the oat milk in every supermarket. It's like Oatly. There's like two or three brands. Same thing with almond milk. So, you know, we were talking about monopolies earlier. That's a monopoly, right? Mm. And people don't realize this. Like oat milk is in every store. Cow milk is in every store. But where is the money going? Like when it's mm-hmm. oat milk, it's the same oat milk. So it's the same company and the oat milk comes from the same factory. So my oat milk dollars and your oat milk dollars all go to the same entity. Whereas when I buy cow milk from a local store, it goes to some farmer and your cow milk dollars go to a different farmer. And someone else's cow milk dollars go to a different farmer. And so while the industries might be the same size, maybe hypothetically say the oat milk industry, the cow milk industry, the almond milk industry, let's say they're all the same size. The, the difference is the level of decentralization in those industries. Like Oatly is basically like Solana and like cow milk is Bitcoin, you know? Like, that's what we're talking about here. And so that's also like a scary prospect too. And now you can also understand why they don't want people to drink milk because milk, like beef, is not a monopolistic industry. All right. We've got a bunch of Bitcoiners that now they uh, they understand this way more. Uh, they want to get ripped. They want to cut this shit out of their uh, diet. They want they want a nice a nice summer. And they're gonna want a nice tan, brother. So what, what's what? What do they need to do to to get All right. a nice tan? how to get tan in a in the in a nutshell? And and that's that's perfect because I guess that we're getting close to the end anyway. Um, no seed oils. Number one, absolutely no seed oils. Like and and if if someone's just finding out about this for the first time, it's gonna be pretty shocking to them to really see how much of what they eat contains seed oils in them. Um. And similarly, no omega-3 supplements, whether it's fish oil or flax or whatever, like, because those, like I said, the omega-3 oils are even more unstable than the, than the seed oils. Um, so if you're making smoothies with flax seeds and hemp seeds and chia seeds and whatever, it's like you're really not helping yourself that much. Um, or you're, it's very counterproductive. And in, in, if you want to go really far and really detox from these, guess where the seed oils come from? Seeds. <laughs> which when eaten in large quantities are also not healthy, contrary to popular belief. Surprise, surprise, yet again. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it's, com- it's necessary to completely eliminate seeds and grains or whatever. In particular, if you like enjoy them and they're of high quality, then I would say it's like a reasonable thing to continue. Um, but there are a lot of people out there I know for a fact who like eat hemp seeds in their smoothie and they eat handfuls of nuts because they think it's like good protein and fats. And... Mm-hmm. And so they don't actually, come under seeds. Let's just clarify that. Yeah. Like any when kind I of peanut. Seeds, any, yep. When I say seeds, I mean like in a botanical sense of the term. So like the, the entity which produces another plant. Um, and so in culinary right. terms, there are, there's different types of seeds and they have different names. There's nuts, there's seeds like pumpkin seeds, right? There's nuts like uh, mm-hmm. cashews and um, hazelnuts and whatever. Um, there's legumes, which are like beans. Mm-hmm. string beans soybeans mung beans lentils whatever beans all come under seeds uh they're all they're all seeds if you plant any of those in the ground a new plant pops up they're so seeds eating a tomato then of course you're like you know it, okay it, well so so fruits so fruits culinarily speaking or botanically speaking fruits are the fleshy surround like the fleshy pods which seeds come in hmm. So like you think about the avocado, the fruit of the avocado is that green stuff. And then inside is the seed. In a tomato, tomato is a fruit. Inside of it are those little seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a zucchini, uh, zucchini is a fruit, right? Um, 
because it has seeds inside of it. Pumpkin's fruit because it's got seeds inside of it. Mm-hmm. So like there's there's botanical terms like you know plants, and then there's culinary terms, right? So most people won't consider a zucchini a fruit, but it is because it's got seeds in it. Um, and this this may have just gotten too complicated too quickly, but you don't need to worry about like the types of things where there's a bunch of little seeds in them and you eat, right? Like a raspberry, just eat a raspberry, whatever. Like the seeds are so tiny. They're also very underdeveloped because of thanks to the magic of, you know, domestication and selective breeding. We've literally made fruit with small seeds for this very reason. Cause like no one wants to eat seeds. Um, like people, it's crazy. Most seeds are poisonous. People understand like, like uh, ricin, like the poison from the nineties that people would mail around like the ter- the bioterrorism thing, like that comes from beans. Like, like, like no one eats watermelon seeds. You spit them out. Grape seeds, you spit them out. Like no one eats that. And yet all of a sudden, somehow, like we can make oils out of them. And then like, that's a health food, right? Like you're no right. One... You're right. Nobody eats a whole <laughs> apple, right? You throw away the core. Right, you then throw out the test, core. Right? You don't eat the seeds. <laughs> like the only seeds you eat are the ones that are just so not noticeable, right? When you, been when you make a, to us. When you, when you eat a pumpkin, you scoop out the seeds and toss yeah. it. When you eat a spaghetti squash, you, you scoop out the seeds in the middle. Like you don't eat the seeds. Oranges, you spit out the seeds. If you get an orange with a seed in it, watermelons, you know, whatever, cherries, all of it. You don't eat the seeds. <laughs> um, so anyway, like once again, the dose makes the poison, right? So like a handful of almonds is not going to be the same as like a cup of canola oil. Obviously, there's a scale question here. And if you particularly enjoy certain varieties of nuts, like I'm not going to tell you to stop. Like, that's crazy. Um, but if people feel obligated to eat them for health reasons, and not only that, they're expensive. So people are doing this, they're expensive, and they don't even enjoy the taste of them. Just cut that shit out. Absolutely. Like, there's no reason for it. Um, so the seed oils, the seeds, the omega-3s, whatever, like seed oils, all that stuff. Once again, all these foods which have these oils which decay that's what we don't want um and so that's got to come out number one and the thing is um even once you stop eating them though like they're still in your body and like that can take some time for them to come out so now once you stop eating them there's no question of how do we get them out so one thing to do is eat more saturated fat so you'll replace the seed oil fat with the saturated fat in your body number one um number two so you you can take a vitamin e as I may have hinted at before, the vitamin E is, comes in seeds in order to basically stabilize the unstable fats therein. And so you can take a vitamin E supplement. Um, if, you, if I was just starting off with seed oils, I would be taking a lot of vitamin E. At this point, I only take it if I go out to a restaurant or something just in case. Um, yeah, vitamin E. Another thing, we already talked about cholesterol. So you want to be able to tan. You want to eat saturated fat, you know, foods with cholesterol, egg yolks. You know, liver's great, of course, um, butter, whatever. Um, so then another, another vitamin you want for skin health in general, because you need your skin to be strong uh, to support, you know, to get, the, to absorb the sunlight. Vitamin A is probably the most important uh, skin health vitamin for reasons which I will, will become clear in a thread that I'm going to post on Twitter tomorrow, actually. Um, and the article is going to come out on Substack as well. So vitamin A, that comes from, once again, butter, liver, high quality animal fats, right? That's the thing. It's like all these overlaps, right? Most of these things, <laughs> saturated fat, the cholesterol, the, the vitamin A, like all this stuff comes from like the same set of foods. Um, and then another thing to support skin health, I would say uh, eat collagen and 
collagen-rich foods, stews, you know, chewy collagen sources of meat, like a brisket or whatever, you can put it in the stew, put it in a pot roast. Um, collagen protein powders, some people find them to not digest well though. So, you know, your mileage may vary, bone broth. Uh, those are, I would say, really the, the food things that you should worry about or concern yourself with. The most okay. important thing, though, that I see people doing wrong is they're like, oh, I just stopped eating seed oils like today and tomorrow I'm going to like go tan for five hours. Like, no, it's not how that works. Like, and this is another reason why people get sunburned, too, right? It's because like they spent all year, all winter inside fluorescent lights, clothing, winter coats. And then they go to the beach for spring break and they spend like seven hours underneath the sun, like drunk, like while eating French fries and God knows what else. And then they wonder why they get sunburned. Like, yeah, you, you got to do, like, you're not going to deadlift 500 pounds. Like, you just never lift weights like, tomorrow, right? Start slowly. And I mean, like, really slowly. Like, go out at noon and get five minutes of sunlight. Five minutes. And, like, do that every day for two or three, four or five days. And then get 10 minutes, you know, and then do 15 minutes. And then do 20 minutes. And then, you know, work your way up, basically. Like, people, um, like, I'm not saying if you don't eat seed oils, you're just going to become invincible. Like, you have to be smart about it. The point is, like, you're encouraging your skin's natural ability to defend yourself mm-hmm. from the, from so you'd the, say to like, absorb uh, the sun. Five or 10 minutes in direct sunlight, then get under the parasol sort of thing, under the umbrella. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, I mean, yeah. yeah. At, at no point put on sun cream, like, um, or what do you think? No. What, I, right, well, okay. so I think. So sunscreen, you know, we didn't talk about this before, like the chemicals it's made of are actively harmful, mm-hmm. like separate from the sun blocking issue, right? Like it's, it's so crazy. Like I, I saw a bunch of my friends sent me this like about a month ago, Bloomberg had a headline that was like, you know, 24 popular sunscreens found to have this like toxic carcinogen. And then the conclusion of the article basically was like, yeah, they use this chemical on all these sunscreens. It gives you cancer but you should still use sunscreen anyway because the sun's dangerous. Like that's the level of thinking that we're at here. Um, so so uh, coconut oil actually does have a mild protective effect from the sun. It is, it's like five to seven SPF. That's not really going to do much for people that like haven't built up a tolerance to the sun. I would prefer um, if, if like if the sun were too much for whatever reason, you hadn't worked up a tolerance, whatever the circumstances are, I would prefer just getting in the shade um personally or putting on like sort of some sort of clothing um i i don't think the, ke- the chemicals really are just a terrible idea like independent from the whole sun dimension like everything you put on your skin is absorbed by your skin and you're putting this garbage plastic industrial johnson and johnson produced chemistry experiment into your skin and the thing about skin that people don't understand is that it's even less of a barrier than eating so when i eat something it goes through my mouth my stomach, it has to survive pH of two stomach acid, has to survive highly basic bile. Um, it has to survive bacteria in the small intestine. And then it has to actually get absorbed through a membrane that can decide to absorb something or not. And, oh, it also has to survive my liver. My liver gets its hands on it and gets to figure out if it's toxic or not. And then if it passes all these tests, then it gets into my blood if I eat something. But if I put something on my skin, straight in, straight into the blood. No questions asked. Eventually, it might wander around and my kidneys might have, a, have to deal with it, but straight into the blood. So 
like you can actually like what you put in your skin should even be more clean if you will than what you put in your mouth like like i'd rather eat um <clears throat> we have the complete opposite right we have uh especially oh, yeah. women just like bathing themselves in cream like morning night and day like the, the, oh, yeah the... and it's like it gets in your mouth and you have to spit it out it's bitter it's gross yeah you wouldn't eat it you wouldn't eat shampoo well you put it in your hair rub it in no, no less you you know, get it in there yeah like people so put stuff much... on their skin like they write on their skin with sharpie like it disappears everyone knows this you put something on your skin it goes away where does it go Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it goes in your blood, right? <laughs> mm. um, so you got to be very careful with what you put on your skin, which is why I don't think it's ever appropriate to use these like sort of commercial sunscreens. And mm. if you need to protect yourself, which there are definitely cases where you should protect yourself from the sun, right? Not everyone has the luxury of being able to tan for five minutes a day for two months to build up a tolerance before they go on spring break. You know, um, you should do that. But if you can't, I would prefer shade and clothing, like linen, white linen. Just get decked out head to toe in white linen. That's what the uh, Arabs do, and they look pretty cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Look, before before we, we run out of time, uh, let's do a quick um, acne. What what's the word? How can we help kids like uh, yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. Um. So, two most important things I think for skin health. First of all, would be digestive health, which doesn't necessarily help. It just kicks the can down the road. You have to fix another problem. But if you have bad digestion, you're gonna most likely gonna have bad skin. Um, so, and and I guess the thing, the the key insight here is like the things that are needed to fix your digestive health will also benefit your skin. Um, and digestive health is a, is a huge can of worms. It's very it's a very fragile system. It's hard to fix. I mean, cutting out the seed oils will help significantly for most people. Mm -hmm. um, but even still, it depends on a lot of factors. Stress, you know, certain people need a certain amount of carbs, less carbs, more fiber, less fiber, more magnesium, less magnesium. Um, it's tough. But uh, another thing would be uh, vitamin A. And like I hinted up for my Twitter thread and Substack that are coming out tomorrow are actually very pertinent to this discussion. They're all about um, something that can help with uh, vitamin A status and skin health. But mm -hmm. I think for for acne i would try to eat as much vitamin a as i could and of course this comes from liver beef liver lamb liver um and high quality animal fat whether it's beef fat itself or butter whatnot um raw like grass-fed milk so eating a lot of vitamin a and putting something high in natural vitamin a on your skin um long story short this isn't coming out tomorrow anyway so the answer is beef tallow uh, is probably is the best moisturizer for sure. If, if I had acne, I would be like rubbing tons of beef fat on my skin all day. And and oh. the, my favorite moisturizer is the beef tallow product. It's got beef tallow, honey, and olive oil in it. it doesn't taste like meat. Doesn't smell like meat. I was going to say I, th I thought you'd be rendering down like uh, pieces of, but no, you can buy a product that. Oh, you can buy it. You can buy it absolutely, and it it doesn't smell like meat. It's 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 luxurious, it's smooth. Mm -hmm. It's it's creamy. It's amazing. Um, but that's what I would be putting on my skin. I know my friend's girlfriend had acne for years, basically, and, and I convinced her to start using it. And she said in about a month, it, it almost went away. And granted, she's doing other things to improve her health, too. Yeah. But, um, but that's vitamin A is absolutely necessary for proper skin health. And people. Does that go for eczema as well? Have you found? Yes. Yeah. All skin problems, vitamin A is necessary. Like, and you can put it on topically. 
mm-hmm. with you know beef tallow or uh, butter also has a lot of vitamin A. Yeah. Uh, but a beef tallow skin product would be the best. Um, and you can eat it. And the thing about eating, once again, is um, if you're if you're not if you don't have good gut health, you can eat all the vitamin A you want. You won't absorb it because you're just gonna shit it out. So, you know, it's not just about what you eat; it's about what you absorb. Where do you find where where do you find vitamin A? You said liver is so you can. Adam, are there for for those people that don't like that kind of awful food? There there are yeah, supplement. supplements, right? Yeah, the the, yeah. the freeze dried liver capsules are pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um, so liver but by the way so beef liver gets a bad rap for a good reason it tastes like ter- it tastes like crap i don't eat beef liver <clears throat> i don't eat beef liver i eat lamb liver mm-hmm. when i eat liver um it tastes way better much more palatable um regardless vitamin a is found really the only foods that people eat would be uh liver egg yolks and like dairy fat mm-hmm. high quality animal fats in general but dairy fat in particular so you know obviously milk and, and butter and cream and stuff. And you'll notice that most people don't eat those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if they do eat those, they eat pretty low quality versions. And the thing about vitamin A, as, as with most nutrients, is that the nutrient density of the food greatly depends on the quality. Like you can have crappy milk that I haven't tested it and I want to um, at some point if, if I can get enough resources together to do like a sort of independent food laboratory. Um, I've been trying. I'm running a crowdsourced uh experiment on like raw milk and women's health at the moment um Mm. but it'd be great to be able to measure like the vitamin a content of like different milks at the grocery store i'd be i'd venture to guess that like the the lower quality milks that you get um almost negligible vitamin a so (laughs) yeah so so who's really eating high quality dairy fat high quality grass-fed beef fat uh, egg yolks and liver those four foods who's eating that not very many people no vitamin, yeah, and people aren't getting vitamin A. You don't know why, you know. All right. So man. for yeah, for acne and and eczema, vitamin A for sure. Last question about about the tanning. Mm-hmm. Bitcoiners love to sun their balls. Mm-hmm. Is this a good idea or not? It's a good idea if your balls don't have seed oils in them. <laughs> And you, you laugh, but they, they've literally found, uh, I read a study, it was circulating around Twitter a few weeks ago. They found lipid peroxidation products, aka seed oil decay, in testicles. <laughs> like human testicles. Um, so it's there, right? So if it's, uh, ball skin is no different than any other skin. If, you're, if your skin is free of seed oils and you're doing all the other things, and you work up to it slowly, right? Yeah, that's key. <laughs> that's key. Then it's not different than any other skin. And it's, it's, it's a fine idea. Because like everyone knows you need vitamin D or at least people don't really understand vitamin D, but the, the precept, I think it makes sense. Vitamin D from the sun increases testosterone. And so what better place to get more testosterone <laughs> than on where it's made? um makes makes perfect sense yeah (laughs) it it does all right you you plebs have been warned do not go get the balls out too quickly work up work up to that work up to it yes detox on the seed oils uh keep keep your pants on for a little a little bit longer and uh, yeah yeah, so so yeah that's a good way to summarize it if you want to tan no seed oils vitamin e vitamin a right for just overall skin health and go slowly those four things 
Is there something I, I remember reading? Someone posted something about sunglasses inhibiting vitamin D. Have you ever looked at that? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so if you wear, I don't wear sunglasses, and it's not just sunglasses though. It's also real regular glasses. Hmm. If your eyes aren't getting the um, like the UV light, like if they're not recognizing that you're basically outside in the sun, they won't be trigger. They won't trigger like the melanin production response. So like your skin requires awareness of the fact that you're outside before it can start to produce like the chemicals needed when you're outside. Um, so blocking UV light, whether it's from like a window in your car or a window in the house or your, your regular glasses, which have UV blocking coating or sunglasses, um, it's not gonna, it's not the best of you to wear those when you're trying to tan. Um, so, so yeah, that could actually harm people too. Yeah, so take off your glasses when you're doing this. All right. But yeah, definitely keep them on if you're driving and stuff. And you, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you were in Miami, right? Hanging with the, some Bitcoiners? Uh, I was. Yeah. You have a good time? I, um, yeah. Well, no, no. This wasn't over the weekend or this wasn't over the conference. I oh, it wasn't. There. Okay. No, okay. no, no. I was referring to that. This is just a random dinner um, right. over winter break. I was right. in my, I had an occasion to be in Miami and I, uh, I met a few Twitter Bitcoin libertarian types at this thing. It was, it was fun. And, uh, that's when I kind of first discovered, I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to, cause all I ever talk about is health stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I was like, I don't know what, what we're going to talk about here. And then that, that was a shockingly, uh, a shocking and welcome surprise at that overlap in interest. Yeah. Well, uh, did they manage to pull you into the Bitcoin rabbit hole? Yeah, so I, I've, I've been into crypto for, or I was a bit more into crypto, not Bitcoin. I know that, I know you people yep. uh, are very well apprised of the distinction. Well, well said. About, <laughs> about, about a year ago. Um, but I, uh, I kind of, I, I was like kind of actively trying to trade and do stuff. But I mean, I realized that you have to be very, uh, it's like, a, it's a full-time job. You can't just casually like trade stuff. Um so I, I stopped doing that. And then starting in the summer, I focused more on what I'm actually passionate about, which is like talking about health and doing health stuff. And there's a few various ventures that I now have that are in the works. And at this point, all I do is um, I just like every once in a while, buy some Bitcoin and just like hang on to it. But that's all I really do. That's the way, brother. That's all you need to do. That's all you yeah. need to do. That, that, Especially after it. doing taxes this year. That was an absolute nightmare. And I absolutely regret every trade, every crypto trade I made last year. I, I, I regret a thousand times over for the work it made me have to do uh, during tax season. <laughs> well, are you aware of uh, Swan Bitcoin over in the US? Have you heard of that company? What is it? Swan Bitcoin. I, I don't know what that one is, but is, if it's a tax offer, I used um, like crypto tax, crypto trader tax, I think. Oh, no, no. But but Swan can help you just dollar cost average in, into Bitcoin. They're, they're, they're oh, the oh, so it's, it's not yeah. tax offer. Oh, okay. No, okay. Interesting. No. So if you, yeah, they're a show sponsor. They're great guys. Um, they've made uh, dollar cost averaging so easy that you just download the app, swanbitcoin.com. Uh, if you use forward slash Bitcoin, you'll get 10 bucks. And then you're set, man. You can just set it up oh, it and forget it. And if oh, you, don't so it's sell, like a... you don't sell, you don't have any tax bullshit. And exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you. We'll see you on a yacht in 10 years time. And you can give us, uh, we'll, we'll all be brown because we're going to follow your, uh, your, your sunballing <laughs> tips.
Well, the, the, the very tan men on the yachts, yes. <laughs> so, oh. so this this um, crypto, what'd you call it? Swan, Swan something? Swan Bitcoin. I'll, I'll, Swan give, it Bitcoin. A, I'll give it a link in your DM once we're done. Okay, here. cool. Yeah, so that, that's basically like instead of Coinbase, like doing a yeah. recurring buy. Okay. Yeah, don't, don't you? Cool. We, we don't, they're not called Coinbase anymore. They're, they're called Conbase. You have to remove the Yeah. Eye. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of them. No. They are uh, so, not cool. So uh, self-custody, anything you've got on Conbase, then delete the app and you're, you're going to be in better hands. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I have, I use Exodus as a wallet. Is that good? Uh, as a wallet? Yeah, to be fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have an Exodus and I have a trust wallet. Um, and I have a well, MetaMask with a bunch of ETH, which I regret too, because it's, I, I'm trying to get rid of it and I can't. The gas is too high. Exactly. <laughs> They'll rug pull you as well on it very soon. But um, yeah, like, yeah, I'll send you that DM. And then once you're with the Swan guys, they're, they're all about education as well. So they'll just hold your hand. Well, not, not literally, but um, you know, sure. all the, all the education's on their website. And uh, if you, you can shoot me DMs anytime, and uh, I'm sure you're going to get a lot more followers. Bitcoin maxis are going to start following you after this seed oil conversation. Ask any one of us, any questions anytime and we'll be more than happy to uh to help you yeah. out so, like people people don't understand it like I'm sure you're aware of that uh vice article that was trying to talk about seed oils and bitcoin a few weeks ago um and they don't really get it i think but and it does at first glance it's like why bitcoin and seed oils why does it make sense but it does like philosophically they're well first of all they're connected right you can't have seed oils without fiat money um mm -hmm. and secondly it's like the same set of philosophical principles just applied to a different industry like finance instead of agriculture yep but it's the same stuff it's cool yep for sure all right brother well uh i'll let you go thank you for your time and uh i look forward to uh interacting with you more yeah sounds good thank you man uh great great time glad that we could make this happen before your uh, spring break and uh where i'll i'll put the um your your twitter in the uh the title so people can come and find you but is there anywhere yeah, else yeah, you yeah. direct them so to yeah, Twitter, um, my Substack, which is the same thing. It's also reallytanman.substack.com. Reallytanman on Twitter and Instagram. And if they are interested in, um, well, yeah, if they, I, I have a few, uh, I have a product announcement to make coming up in the next two weeks. It's going right. to be quite exciting, I think, for a lot of people. So if they're, they're following me, they'll be able to find out about that too. I wanted to make a product, um, quick release, uh, like Velcro front to your, to your board shorts. So you could sun your balls very quickly and privately. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps we can maybe, work something. Maybe that's uh, <laughs> next on the list. <laughs> All right, brother. Have a good one. See you later. Thanks. You too. Take care. Well, guys, what did you think of that? Really tan man bring in the noise everything you needed to know about seed oils and much much more give him a follow get up in his dms help him down the rabbit hole ask him any questions you want he's looking for engagement and i think we've found a good guide for for all of this make sure you're following him on substack because his his articles are really good like I said, I found the one uh, just yesterday and we connected and got, on, uh, got straight on a recording. Uh, really appreciate you coming on, mate. Uh, that, that, was, that was a long rip. We, I didn't realize that uh, we almost hit two hours, I think, on that one. But still so much to talk about uh, and important topics. If, if there's something in there 
that uh, has resonated with you, please, please reach out. Please share any of your other experiences as well, because we're all here to learn from each other and better ourselves in whatever way that we can. And taking care of our health and our skin is obviously of paramount importance because we have been lied to, ladies and gentlemen, our whole lives if you're born after 1971. Something went down in that year. Hmm, I wonder what that was. And it's just unbelievable when you start picking away at these narratives and you realize the the nonsense that we've been fed literally and figuratively over the last 50 years or so. Anyway, make sure you are stacking your sats. That goes for you too, really tan man. Get on that swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten link. Start stacking your sats and make sure you are then taking control of any coins that you are buying. You can use the shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten link to save yourself 5% on the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only hardware wallet. You can also stack across Europe with Relay, R-E-L-A-I.ch forward slash bitten and the Bitcoin Reserve guys and you can stack daily with Bitcoin Reserve or like I've said at the beginning of the show if you've got a big size to put on or if you want to help orange pill a boomer and they've got some some nice sized stack of of fiat that they want to change into Bitcoin then they can use Bitcoin Reserve that's a white glove service that they offer Coin Corner are your exchange across UK and Europe. You can use those guys to smash buy and auto buy. Bitcoinday.io. Make sure you check those guys out if you're in the States. And don't forget to go and look at lifetimeliberty.com and follow at libertyiol on Twitter because we've got this conference in Prague coming up at the end of October. Thanks for listening, guys. Catch you on the next show.